This is a trigger warning that this episode contains mention of rape and assault. Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the podcast run by women who will judge you whether or not they're seated on the high court. Today, we have Kellen, Laura, and Hope. And this episode, we are going to be talking about the Supreme Court. In case you were not aware, the Supreme Court sucks. Uh, but wait, Kellen, didn't it do good things? Like, what about gay marriage? Yes, yes, definitely. There's some good rulings here and there, and I definitely don't want to downplay that at all. In fact, we're, we're going to talk about the Obergefell ruling, which gave us gay marriage, and the Brown v. Board of Ed ruling, which integrated schools. And we're also going to talk about how those hugely progressive steps have actually been relatively easily rolled back because the court is an inherently regressive institution. Mm. So obviously we're Marxists and um, we like to talk about systems. So we're going to do that. But um, we're also probably over the course of this episode going to talk about some of the individuals who make up the court because also a lot of them suck. Like Notorious RBG um, isn't that great, y'all. One of the people who sucks, obviously, is Brett Kavanaugh, Donald Trump's choice to replace Justice Anthony Kennedy, who stepped down from the court this year. Um, Just as a side note, Kennedy is another guy who liberals love to love, despite the fact that he was a Reagan nominee who is mainly a conservative voice on the court, but like occasionally threw the libs a bone on social issues. This Brett Kavanaugh thing obviously is developing daily, so by the time this actually airs, it's possible he will have been approved by the Senate. Um, A lot of things could have changed. Maybe he will have withdrawn from uh, consideration, although I feel like that's unlikely. Either way, we figured we'd talk a little bit about what's going on with him um, and how shitty it is, and also maybe why it's so hard for so many people to actually talk about it. But let's start, I think, um, by looking at the Supreme Court as an institution. Totally. So technically, the Supreme Court was designed by the framers of the U.S. Constitution to protect vulnerable minorities against the tyranny of the majority. We've obviously seen time and time again that when the Supreme Court actually worsened the tyranny of the majority, upholding hierarchical institutions and, of course, capital. Yeah. And I also think it's important to note that um, when the framers were talking about majorities versus minorities, they're not talking about them in the way that we mean it today. They weren't like, uh, let's protect the minority that is like, um, I don't know, Asian immigrants against the tyranny of the white majority. They meant minority interests like industry in a time where most people were agriculturalists or Mm. they meant Quakers in a country that was mostly mainline Protestant, like that sort of thing. It was really only later that other groups like women or people of color or most recently the LGBTQ community have instrumentalized the idea of a min- of minority rights within a majority rule system to argue for their own protection. So if we look back to the beginning of the U.S. and the original Supreme Court, it's pretty clear that, like, like Laura said, 
protecting the rights of property was one of the foremost mm -hmm. goals that the founders had for the institution. And um, there's a lot of ways that we could look at this, but uh, I think nothing is quite so evocative as the court's history with slavery. And this may be my like personal bias because this is what I study, but I also think that um, in some ways it's the ultimate example of uh, like the court protecting the rights of property. Absolutely. Specifically, yeah, property in humans. So little fun fact when the Supreme Court was established there were not the nine justices we're familiar with today but six justices and um, the of the six the the original OG six justices three of them were slaveholding southerners that's not a coincidence the court expanded to seven seats in 1807 which like makes sense from a tiebreaker perspective and then in the 1830s we have you know, continuing native genocide, the borders of the American state expanding westward. The judiciary is also like the entire judicial branch, um, not just the Supreme Court, is expanding to keep pace with um, the demand for courts in, in Western states and territories. So at that point, the Supreme Court was bumped from seven to nine justices. The two men who were appointed to the new seats were Westerners, as sort of would logically follow, given the reason that the court was expanded. But it's important to note that they were Westerners from the slaveholding states of Tennessee and Alabama. Mm. Again, we're we're seeing where like the court's interests lie, and it is interesting to note that the Supreme Court didn't actually settle cases on slavery for the most part. It tried to stay out of um, what like most legal experts of the day considered to be the purview of individual states. But it was also clear that the Supreme Court was at no point before the Civil War one that would err on the side of slaves over slaveholders who were some of the richest men in America. And as we are approaching the Civil War era, this guy, Roger Taney, who's like a, a bastard if one ever lived, uh, he was the chief justice. And um, in the 1850s, the court started taking up cases that were brought by anti-slavery advocates on behalf of black people. Um, some of them free, some of them slave. And Taney um, and his court consistently ruled in favor of slaveholders. So the Dred Scott case is sort of the most famous one. Um, I'm sure a lot of y'all have heard about it. It ruled definitively that black people could not be citizens of the United States and thus were not afforded the protections of citizenship, which was a ruling that threatened to effectively legalize slaveholding across the entire nation. Hmm. It was a major fact precipitating the Civil War. And it was one of the reasons that we had to have the 14th Amendment um, in the first place. The thing is, though, that like all of this could be considered under the purview of minority rights, like the rights of slaveholders who considered themselves a minority. They were a minority of white men, their right to hold property, to carry it with them across state lines and to not face discrimination on the basis of what type of property it was. And obviously, the property we're talking about here is humans. But there was actually a sound constitutional argument in slaveholders' favors. And, like, this isn't me siding with slaveholders on right. the question of whether this is right. Obviously, this is me saying, like, how fucked up our constitution was. And, like, with about a dozen modifications since the Reconstruction period, we still have that same constitution. And it's, like, still extremely fucked up. Yeah, wasn't that case the one that, like, essentially defined what whiteness is or am I thinking of something else well that is a that is something we could talk about for another episode I think that we'll we'll get into I, there's some other Supreme Court cases that I'll bring up that helped define whiteness yeah. but that was a I mean it was a major one and it specifically defined citizenship as whiteness yeah we get to the 14th amendment that extends citizenship to people who were born 
in the United States. And then we start talking about citizenship being just a black person or a white person. Anyway, I don't want to spoil it. No, it's good. There's other crazy rulings. Laura, I feel like you have, you've got one that you want to talk about. I do. I do. I just wanted to like, really quickly, it's important always when we talk about history of whiteness and like the defining moments in our legal system and in our history when whiteness and blackness like come up because like similar to our last episode when we were talking about all these different random liberal arguments, it's really easy for some liberals to like feel uncomfortable talking about whiteness and blackness and that sort of thing. But it's important for us to start to like deconstruct the historical pieces there because that is obviously such a huge part of our present mess. And anyway, that's all. For sure. (laughs) But let's take a glance at some of those other rulings. Um, So first on my rant is the fact (laughs) that the government can sterilize you in the name of eugenics. Wow. So here we go. In the case of Buck versus Bell in 1927, um, that started when 17-year-old Carrie Buck was sent to the, quote, Virginia Colony for Epileptics and Feeble-Minded, which the name alone should yep. signify how fucked up this is going to be, but here we go. Oh, she, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> she was admitted on the grounds of promiscuity and feeble-mindedness after being raped and impregnated by the nephew of her foster parents. The foster parents, John and Alice Dobbs, thought it was the right thing to do because if anyone found out that Carrie was raped by their nephew, their family name would forever be tainted. And since we are currently sitting here nine decades later talking about what pieces of shit they were, the Dobbs' (laughs) grand experiment failed on an epic level. So anyway, while Carrie was institutionalized, it was ordered that she be sterilized for being, quote, feeble-minded under Indiana state law. The state determined that since both Carrie and her mom had been committed to the, quote, colony of crazies, it proved that the buck line was, quote, defective. Carrie appealed the decision. Dozens of, quote, experts testified in favor of Carrie's sterilization in front of the Supreme Court, noting her lack of intelligence, her daughter's funny looks, and her mother's history of prostitution. Oh, my God. The Supreme Court ultimately ruled in favor of compulsory sterilization in an 8-to-1 decision, making it totally legal to remove testicles and scrape wombs barren if it prevents the spread of undesirable genetic traits such as madness, stupidity, and disease. Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. literally said, quote, three generations of imbeciles are enough, unquote, when referring to Bucks. I like, we have a lot of just quotes because it's like it, you should just hear it, hear it straight from them. I know. I, that, and I also just like want to make sure that no one's thinking like I'm saying those words. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. I'm like, I'm going to be really fucking clear here. Yeah. So yeah. Carrie's daughter was taken away and placed in the care of the foster parents and Carrie and her younger sister were both sterilized to prevent the spread of feeble mindedness. Her sister's sterilization was masked as a appendicitis operation. Now, before you go thinking, this couldn't have gone on after all the shit horrors of the Holocaust, listen here. An estimated 65,000 people were sterilized in America after 1945, mainly African Americans and Native Americans. 
Compulsory sterilization virtually stopped in the 1980s as public support eventually dwindled. However, that ruling has still never been overturned. Yeah. Um, I know for me, like my home state of North Carolina has had a lot of problems because it was revealed a few years ago um, that the sterilization programs there continued like well into the 1970s. Um, and NPR did sort of a big expose on all of like that history in North Carolina and called what was going on in that state one of the most aggressive programs in the country. Um, and their story focused on a woman who was taken at age 14 by state authorities from her home where she lived with her family into a local hospital and forced into a full hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for folks who aren't aware, that's a full surgical removal of the uterus. And this happened to her at age 14, and it happened in 1972. Really quickly, can I – I just want to say that, like, because a hysterectomy was up on the table for me as someone with endometriosis, there are a lot of complications that go on with that, particularly when it comes to your hormones and, like, the hormones that, like, make you have a lot of – the human emotions that you have and like there can be a lot of issues that go on with that beyond just a surgery so this is like a very serious thing it's super invasive and like can have really serious complications um and yeah it's there yeah 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 so um the woman in question uh was poor and black just like most of the people who were affected by forced sterilization programs and you know all of this, the Supreme Court said was constitutional. And again, I think it's worth noting that as happened with Carrie Buck's sister, um, a lot of people were sterilized and were told that they were having a different kind of operation. Mm. Um, the, the woman, you know, when she was a 14 year old girl and was taken to the hospital to have this done, um, didn't know that what was happening to her, uh, was a hysterectomy. Um, she thought it was a a different sort of medical procedure, although clearly it was not well explained. Um, but this is, that's, uh, part of the history is that it's, it's not just forced sterilization, but also, um, a lot of lies around it. So, uh, you know, as good Marxists, we might want to ask why this was allowed, who benefited that sort of thing. Um, and obviously part of what's going on is the fact of eugenic engineering serving the goals of a dominant white supremacist elite um also surprise the joint benefit of maintaining the patriarchy (laughs) yeah Um, well it's definitely true that men have also been sterilized at different points in history but in this case and many many others we see that this was a way of further controlling women and at mm-hmm. times, even they use the made-up mental illness of hysteria as a reason yeah. to remove a woman's right to reproductive autonomy, um, and also was sometimes used as a way of controlling or punishing promiscuity. So it just kind of furthers all of those lovely goals. Yeah, yeah, and you know, if we're gonna like look at it from a labor perspective, the capitalist machine needs a surplus of workers, but it also wants to exert absolute control. Over- over that surplus. And for all of these goals, you know, the Supreme Court played a really important role in making that possible. Mm. Ah, well, oops, here goes another one. Oops, I did it again. No, (laughs) because guess what? I'm going to move on to another one because they're all super fucked up. Uh, You can imprison an entire race if you have a good reason. 
as you know, during World War II, the U.S. government rounded up every legal American citizen of Japanese descent on the West Coast and placed them all in internment camps just to make sure they didn't turn on us and start spying on behalf of their home country. This let's round up an entire race just to be safe plan was done while America was also at war with the Nazis and the nation almost completely missed the irony there. Uh, but you may be wondering, how the hell was this legal? And the truth is that somebody did in fact ask that same question. <laughs> Japanese American Fred Korematsu, Fred Korematsu, yeah. sorry Fred if I mispronounced your last name, sued over it and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. In Korematsu versus the United States, the Supreme Court ruled six to three in favor of interning the Japanese. The idea was that the risk of Japanese espionage, despite never having actually occurred, outweighed Korematsu's individual rights. This decision has never been overturned. And I just wanted to note, like, kind of what Kellen was alluding to earlier in the introduction, that it's really on, like, this kind of fucked up note that this same ruling is has been used to desegregate schools and legalize interracial marriage because essentially the court ruled that unless there was a quote-unquote real reasons like we are at war then discrimination based on ethnicity or race is unconstitutional and obviously this is really scary because of a lot of things like we see the muslim ban now and like all this other shit and like tons of stuff that still have to do with like Anytime that, like, for American safety is kind of, like, in the mix, obviously I'm skeptical of that, and I think we all should be. But, yeah, this shit's really crazy. Yeah. And so, like, as Laura mentioned, the the Muslim ban thing has brought Korematsu back up, it, sort of into the fore. People are talking about it a lot. Um, I think something that's important to note is that it's built on decades of, of Supreme Court rulings um, that had made Asians and Asian Americans ineligible for full citizenship. So this is sort of what I was like when I was like, I don't want to spoil what happens later in the episode. It's coming up. We're going to talk about Asian people and whiteness in America. Because um, like a lot of the times when people are talking about race in the U.S., we talk about it from a white, black, binary perspective. Um, but in the context of the legal system, especially in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, um, a lot of the landmark cases that define citizenship were actually specifically engineered around keeping Asian people out of the country or like at the very least keeping them from achieving equal rights once they were here and keeping them laboring at extremely low wages. So a lot of you guys have probably heard about the Chinese Exclusion Act. It was passed in 1882. It was the first federal law to like place official limits on immigration. Another big thing that happened was in 1906, which was the Naturalization Act, um, which provided, again, as I alluded to earlier, that only white people or people of, quote, African nativity or descent were eligible for naturalization and mm. to, to become citizens, essentially. Um, and if you're wondering about that second part, it comes from the fact that black people, like I, I mentioned earlier, were not considered citizens um, thanks to uh, the Dred Scott ruling, and so became citizens after the Civil War and the passage of the 14th Amendment. And the 1906 Naturalization Act recognizes that history. In 1922, 
a Japanese man named Ozawa Takao applied for citizenship after living in the United States for two decades. And the Supreme Court ruled, looking at this, this naturalization act, that he wasn't eligible because he wasn't white. So this guy, Bhagat Sin Thind, um, he was an Indian man, like looked at this ruling in 1922 and was like, I think I got a way around this. So in 1923, his case came to the Supreme Court. He had applied for citizenship on the grounds that he was white. And I, I think it's really important to get into the logic of this because I, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, so his argument was that he was Aryan as Indo-Aryan peoples had populated the region of India from which he had emigrated and that he, like his family had maintained blood purity through the Indian caste system, meaning that they hadn't intermarried with um, actual Asian peoples, that he was part of an Indo-European background um, that had existed for centuries. So uh, it's also, it's, it's worth noting that he appealed to anti-blackness to make this point. Um, his lawyer during the trial told the justices that, quote, the high caste Hindu regards the aboriginal Indian mongoloid in the same manner as the American regards the Negro speaking from a matrimonial standpoint. Let me just like iterate that this argument makes about as much sense as any other like race science argument does, be you know, because it's all completely arbitrary um, and only exists to uphold white supremacy. But, you know, you hear people, you know, the race scientists today talking about tracing these ancient bloodlines, trying to prove that like this, you know, the Anglo-Saxon race is pure, but the, you know, the Nordic races are the most pure of all the white races, whatever, whatever. This argument is just as real as any of those are. Um, but looking at this case, the Supreme Court served as the literal gatekeepers of American whiteness, abandoning race science because Thind had actually out-pseudoscienced America's white pseudoscientists with this argument. And the court admitted that while Thind might have, quote, pure Aryan blood, he still wasn't white by mm. common understanding. So even though the case laid completely bare the absurdity of whiteness as a biological concept, it nevertheless reinforced the barriers around white supremacy. Thin's application was denied and the ground for Korematsu was laid. But anyway, the Supreme Court has not, has not only reinforced the nation's hierarchies on the basis of race, it has also upheld capital's rights to just totally destroy the environment. But uh, to hear about that, you're, uh, you're going to have to wait through this music break. We hope you enjoy it. Hard 
call me MC Artery. Think about some real shit. Eyes looking watery. Never let them leak though. Temper's like a freak show. Two shots fired out my window like some free throw. I'm tired of feeling poor. I'm tired of eating ramen. I'm tired of all the war, propaganda, and bombing. When I'm broke, I'm frustrated. When I'm broke, I wanna drink. When I'm broke, I can't think. I just wanna rob a bank. I'm trying to keep it positive, but right now my honesty, I'm a rare thing to rap like monogamy and modesty. What's a pyramid to a mountain, an ocean to a fountain? How many lies have I told? I don't know, I'll stop counting. I reel like dirty ditches in the sink for two days. You fake like a CEO, smile in a toupee. My thoughts are deep, cause I came from the bottom. If you have dreams, you should chase them if you got them. If you work every day, pray for slave. You don't make a living wage, pray for slave. Every day there's more debt, pray for slave. They arrest you at the protest, pray for slave. If there's drones over your home, pray for slave. If they foreclose on your loan, pray for slave. If you wanna make change, pray for slave. We gotta break the state before it's too late. I am not a commie, I'm awake, I'm a realist I am a truthist, an anti-imperialist I am not perfect, come make mistakes with me I think my phone's tapped, the NSA is chasing me I was born in America, land of paranoia Where if you fight the state, propaganda will destroy ya Kids join the army for educational goals But does the killing of the sun educate the soul? The elite eat caviar's bodies explode And like it's wet shop, they don't reap what they sow The state is homophobic cause the state is religious it's why they use the Bible to slaughter the indigenous. It ain't man versus nature, it's money versus everything. Creed gave Mother Nature radioactive wedding ring. Old mother's dying, we're almost out of time. So watch me disappear like Palestine. If you work every day, break the state. If you don't make a living wage, break the state. Every day there's more debt, break the state. They arrest you at the protest, break the state. If there's drones over your home, break the state. If they foreclose on your loan, break the state. If you wanna make change break the state we gotta break the state before it's too late if voting change anything it would be illegal word to emma goldman don't vote for lesser evils it's not an election it's just an option the winner goes to the corporation that bought them. politics is in the streets vote with the protests occupy rap pedagogy of the oppressed but fucking tours everywhere i've seen it more than once but like oscar said your friends stab you in the front i don't eat death so i don't eat meat but the suicide Jeans in the soy and the wheat Break the state and don't replace it with another one Cause the president's just an ego with another gun I'm not preaching or whining I'm talking about apocalypse Put your faith in you, not theatrical politics Same man versus God A man versus machine The real enemy is us The nature of human beings If you work every day Break the state If you don't make a living wage Break the state Every day there's more debt Break the state They arrest you at the protest Break the state If there's drones over your home if they foreclose on your loan if you want to make change we gotta break the state before it's too late all right we are back and as promised we're going on to the next fucked up thing that the supreme court has done <laughs> Every time that I swear, I think about your grandpa, Hope, and how he may or may not be listening, and then I feel <laughs> Oh, I only sent him the link to that one. You're good. Swear away. Okay, good. So, right back in it. Next on the fucked up list. So, mining companies can go scorched earth on the environment as long as they get permission. 
So the Clean Water Act was passed by the government in the wake of the Love Canal incident, which happened essentially in my backyard. It's like in Buffalo. So basically, Love Canal was used as a toxic waste depository by a company called Hooker Chemical, eventually holding about 21,000 tons of deadly material. Hooker then sold the property to the Niagara Falls School Board for $1, detailing the presence of the waste and denying any liability for anything that should happen as a result. Sidebar, this is something that is common, commonly happens. So um, I studied abroad in Belize. A lot of the corporations who were building the hydro dams that were that do continue to degrade and destroy a lot of habitat and the environment in Belize are built by Canadian and U.S. companies, and the leases are for like a dollar. So there, there's this, there's this way in which state and capital consistently work together in these ways. But anyhow, for another yeah. time. <laughs> so it's not just an American problem is what you're telling me. That is true. Although I give America most of the blame as per usual. But yes, <laughs> absolutely. Canada is guilty too. Um, so the school board bought the land and built houses on it. Predictably, the toxic waste in Love Canal eventually leaked out into the community, causing a massive health scare. So this is something that people in Buffalo still talk about because it's like, People know people who were affected by this constantly. And think about this. Houses lived on this property and a damn school was built on it. So we know toxicity can exist in larger percentages in small humans because they're small. So big problems. Anyhow, the Clean Water Act is meant to prevent this. It says that waste cannot be dumped into lakes, rivers, or bays. The ocean is fair game, by the way, because we can't drink it. So who gives a shit? Oh, wow. <laughs> By its very definition, it protects water from willful pollution, saving communities from future disasters, such as the one that befell Love Canal. But then, in 2002, Congress amended the Clean Water Act to allow the dumping of, quote, fill materials, as in dirt and gravel, into fresh waterways to create a dam. But under this law, when Kensington, like, I'm going to give an example now. Sorry. So under this law. No, sorry. Give us an example. <laughs> I realized like I'm like, this is a clunky way of describing this. But so there was a Kensington gold mine in Alaska. And when the gold mine reopened, they were given a permit to dump waste debris from the mine, which included 4.5 million tons of incredibly toxic material like lead and mercury into the nearby Lower Slate Lake. This would be enough to poison, this would be enough poison to kill everything in the lake. So why is it even a question that people are asking? Well, when the reopening of the mine was proposed back when the amendment to the Clean Water Act was made, the Bush administration labeled the toxic waste as fill material and argued that the mine would in fact be building a dam in Lower Slate Lake, albeit an aggressively poisonous dam that no living thing on the planet had either requested or required. <laughs> So, it's not funny. I'm laughing. It's not funny. It's terrible. But they literally use their own loophole to purposefully destroy an ecosystem. Considering the Environmental Protection Agency hadn't allowed, or the Environmental Protection 
agency, aka the EPA, hadn't allowed mining companies to dump hazardous materials in more than 30 years, and that the quote-unquote fill material from the Kensington mine would literally kill every fish in the water, the environmentalists sued the Alaskan government. However, as this is the theme of this week, the Supreme Court (laughs) upheld the decision to label the mine debris as allowable fill material and insisted that the Army Corps of Engineers, trustful little bastards as they are, had acted in a reasonable way by permitting a gold mine to take a radioactive shit on an entire ecosystem. Because who the fuck cares about the environment when the money is flowing, am I right? (laughs) it's so bad that's how i feel about that um i saw this on twitter the other day forgive my injection of twitter into this conversation Um, and i can't remember who said it i'm sorry for not citing my sources but anyway you guys want to hear a joke yes yes (laughs) thanks for answering Uh, the joke is free market environmentalism (laughs) oh Oh, fuck. That's too sad to be funny. Yeah, it's not. It's not funny. Uh, Anyway. Yeah, it's like, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Here's some more bad things. Are you ready for it? Okay. If I say no, will they go away? Oh, my dear Hope. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court does not work that way. I wish that it did. I wish that it did. So, here we go. Don't worry about when the people don't matter because of capital. Let us be reminded that in Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission, FEC, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 2010 that political spending is a form of free speech that is protected under the First Amendment. The the controversial 5-4 decision effectively opened the door for corporations and unions to spend unlimited amounts of money to support their chosen political candidates, provided that they were technically independent of the campaigns themselves. I'm using (laughs) that voice because it's just a loophole. It sounded a little bit like Robin Leach from that Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous thing. Yes, here for it. Ready to be as booed. I feel like it also, if longtime listeners may recall, when I tried to impersonate Marx. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of was that voice, too. A little bit. Just a, t- just a touch. So, additionally, a lower court decision allowed for the creation of super PACs, which effectively work as shadow campaigns and shadow parties, influencing all of the major elections in recent history. So for the 2016 alone, PACs made up half of all electoral spending. For comparison, in the 2012 election, the first conducted after the the Citizens United ruling, super PACs were responsible for about 11% of overall federal election spending, or about $820 million, adjusted for inflation for those of you counting at home. (laughs) During, During the 2016 election cycle... Super PACs spent about $1.8 billion, more than a fifth of all federal campaign spending. That's $985 million more than in previous presidential election cycle. In fact, I love it. The, yeah, it's, love it. it's, it's, it's 
so fucked. The PACs in this past election raised over $4 billion, a fucked up amount of money, designated specifically to dampen your voice in a so-called democratic society. And most of this money, as you may have been doing the math in your head, um, 2.2 billion of that we, we don't have accounted for as spent on the election. So that money is considered quote unquote dark money or money that we can't trace. Um, and we don't know its full purpose or influence, but what we do know is that it is a shit ton of money and we know that it's going towards undermining democracy. So when the Supreme Court can make decisions like that, that specifically and purposefully dampen the voices of the American people, we have to understand the Supreme Court as an extremely fucked up institution, ruling a ton of fucked up things. Thanks, Supreme Court. You're a real gem. Yeah. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I want to emphasize that, like, we can all probably agree that there, there are Supreme Court rulings. There are definitely Supreme Court rulings where the court has, like, done the right thing, furthered the cause of labor, made life more livable for people who aren't cis, hetero, rich white men. Um, but it's also very quickly gone back and weakened those same rulings. And, mm-hmm. like, nobody, nobody made you do that. You just did that on your own. Like, guys, come on. Like, so... When we're thinking about the stuff that Supreme Court, like the the rulings that it's passed where we're like, wow, yeah, glad that happened, um, a pattern definitely emerges. Whether we're talking about Brown v. Board or Roe v. Wade or or, or Obergefell v. Hodges, which was the, the gay marriage ruling, um, we see that like within a decade or two, those decisions are consistently weakened, like, like weakened a lot in the mm-hmm. face of reactionary pressure. And the results are clear. Um, schools now are a whole lot more regularly or on the whole, I should say on the whole, more racially segregated on a sort of nationwide basis than they were in 1954 Mm -hmm. before Brown. Um, people with ovaries are finding it increasingly difficult, if not factually impossible to attain safe and legal abortions. And obviously just a couple of sessions after they made gay marriage legal on a national level, the Supreme Court also gave the go-ahead for private businesses to discriminate against those people who are, like, actually having the marriages. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure there are liberal or optimistic legal scholars that would disagree with me, but on the whole, the Supreme Court is a pretty reactionary institution. Mm-hmm. And it's not one that's going to, like, generally swoop in and save the day when our legislators do something shitty. Um you know, and the the Supreme Court is especially not an institution we can rely on when it's comprised of some really shitty people. Yeah, this seems like a good point to just say that our refusal to revise and improve the electoral process for president, like getting rid of the Electoral College, campaign finance reform, transparency and fairness, even within the DNC, all of that further contributes to having a Supreme Court that doesn't reflect at all the way that American voters feel. Uh-huh. And so not to mention voter suppression and other absurdities, um, things like blocking Obama's nominee but pushing through Trump. So basically, this whole thing is extremely fucked. Um, we have an even shittier Supreme Court than we've had in the past, I think, because it's artificially stacked against the will of the people. Mm. That yeah. is extremely well said. <laughs> I've been stewing about this for like a week now. I'm so annoyed about just like we have this body that's, you know, been problematic and made bad decisions, but it's even worse now. 
Like mm-hmm. when they poll American people, you can see most people are in favor of contraception for people. Most people are in favor of gun reform. Like there's, it's broad, it's huge. And the Supreme Court doesn't vote that way at all. And these are some of the reasons why. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I guess this is like, this is when we have to talk about Brett Kavanaugh. It's true. It's time. Uh, so first I want to say that as you may have noted from our rants before the the Supreme Court often strengthens the powerful Um, the nation put out a pretty awesome article in 2015 so before these last two Supreme Court nominations about how the court favors the powerful at the expense of the few yes marriage equality is cool and all but marriage is good for business Voting rights and voting disenfranchisement, dwindling regulations on the environment, dwindling protections for the working class, easier access to guns, prohibiting the voluntary efforts to integrate schools, etc., 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 have all been held, upheld by this nasty-ass Supreme Court over the last decade. Yes, shit is bad. And yes, shit is about to get worse. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but here's the thing. I can't fully get into how I feel about Kavanaugh, and I'm sure my co-host will feel similarly, in that several of us, if not all of us, are sexual assault survivors. So in the same way that the start of the hashtag MeToo movement felt simultaneously empowering and disenfranchising, the hashtag why I didn't report feels really similar. There's something about realizing that we're all in this together, we meaning survivors of these fucked up actions. But the callousness and apathy with which these testimonies online are received makes my stomach want to turn inside out. In the same way that the day after Trump was elected, I couldn't even go outside. Not because I was shocked, not because I felt like the presidency is much of anything other than a figurehead, but because it was a full understanding that rape culture embedded in heteropatriarchy was something we as a nation we're okay with. And it's not something that we should be surprised by that a president who was elected after acknowledging himself as someone who who sexually assaults people would defend and put forth the Supreme Court nominee who has been accused of sexual assault. And quick reminder, not that y'all need reminding because you are beautiful feminists, but the fucking FBI notes that the amount of women who come forward that are lying is less than 2% aka a negligible amount, and that's coming from the FBI, which means fuck them, and which means people don't fucking lie about this shit. It ruins our lives when we come forward, so when we do, fucking believe us. I don't have much to say on this other than the fact that it is continuously fucked up that we're okay completely throwing women and other marginalized people under the bus. Rose at risk of being overturned, and who the fuck knows what else can happen. Yeah, and really quick, I just wanted to say that it seems like there is a particularly like evangelicals, but other kind of slices of American, the American public who are so anti-abortion that they are willing to really make a deal with the devil and look yes. the other way about things like rape. Um, when, because they just, this is the only issue that they care about. Yes. Um, and that's just so fucked up that you can be that myopic about it. Absolutely. 
I, I think it also, to build on what you were just saying, Hope, I, I think it is revelatory that sort of um, conscience conservatives, um, family values conservatives, all of these things for so many people, um, that's just not, that's not a real, that's not real. Like what we're talking about, and this is why I think like having a Marxist perspective um, explains the world a lot better than really anything else can. Um, what we're seeing is is people who are, f the fundamental concern is upholding existing systems of power. Um, like that's, that's what it all comes down to. And so, you know, you can call yourself like family values Christian, because what you mean by that is upholding, you know, uh, white supremacist heteropatriarchy, mm -hmm. um, which goes back like to, to Hope's point about the, the sterilization thing too. You see a lot, and we talked about this in our, our last episode, I think you see a lot of, of liberal media that's, that just feels like pointing out hypocrisy is enough that like, that's saying something, you know, that, oh, these people say that they care about this stuff that they don't. And, you know, it doesn't, it's a game that liberals are playing right into like it doesn't matter what they say they care about they've shown us time and time again um that it is they're completely willing to throw women under the bus mm -hmm. um not just women sexual assault survivors of any gender um because that's what they need to do to maintain power um and it just it, it's it is it's frustrating to see people hand wringing and, you know, trying to call out, uh, quote unquote, reasonable Republicans and in, in the Senate and say, like, how could you stand for this? And it's to me, it's like, well, how could you expect them not to? Mm. And to to again, talk about something I saw on Twitter, the source of which I can't specifically remember. Um, it's extremely telling that that of the nine people on the Supreme Court, assuming Kavanaugh gets confirmed, two of them will have been credibly named as rapists during their hearings. Um, and even if we assume that the other dudes on the Supreme Court have clean records, with the bench being six men and three women, we have a full third of the men on the court who are who are rapists and who are making decisions about how women in America should be able to live their lives. It's, it's absolutely disgusting, but it's also like, yeah, well, fucking of course, you know, like, we had slaveholders on the court when, you know, black people's lives were being legislated and, and they were being upheld as a legitimate, legitimate form of property. Like, we've always had racists and sexists and homophobes and xenophobes and every other kind of phobe, like, sitting on the bench. And this is just, like, one of those, I guess it's, it's just more of a clarifying moment where it's like, yeah stare directly into the face of the nation you're living in. Like we're mm -hmm. not obscuring what and who we are anymore. Yeah. And I think the reality is while we have massive voter suppression and disenfranchisement, we will not have a Senate that works for the 1%. While we have a Senate that works for the 1% and not the American people, we will have a Senate that will confirm a rapist and will confirm exactly what, you know, Colin was saying before. Um, we will have a Senate that will confirm anyone who continues to uphold the status quo and allow the capitalist class to continue to alienate us from our labor through all these fucked up means. 
Yeah, to be really honest, I think even if a court did find Kavanaugh guilty, Trump and the Senate would still not care. I think they could actually have like photos of it happening and audio video recording Mm -hmm. and they would still want to confirm him and would keep saying, you know, and even some of the public saying he was so young then and boys will be boys. I personally am super tired of people on the center and left being shocked constantly that most of the people in power right now are hypocrites and don't care about other people's rights. Mm -hmm. Like we know that already. They don't care. We're not going to shame them into suddenly giving a shit about anything other than lining their own pockets. And I just feel like it's such a waste of time to do all this hand wringing and keep lamenting the fact that they don't give a shit. They're explicit. They're overt about how little they care about anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And how much that they care about capital and their own interests. Like nothing else matters. They don't even act like it. I was actually surprised. This is like a slight tangent, but... I was kind of surprised when the Stormy Daniels thing came up that Trump would even have wasted time and money trying to make it go away mm-hmm. because it seems like not, that shit wouldn't matter. Sure. It could have come out that he fucked a porn star and his supporters would just be like, yeah, but she's hot. Like that, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it would have hurt his chances. Like it was foolish of him to even like, like have, take on the liability of trying to shut her up because because we know that he's like that yeah 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 which again goes to the to what you're saying hope about like the hypocrisy and i think a lot of our listeners would be like yeah honestly like the fact that trump had sex with a sex worker is not really in and of itself a big deal but like evangelical Christians, that is the kind of thing that they position themselves as caring about. And like, and they don't, they just consistently don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, even like the people, and this is one of the reasons that I'm like so strongly, it's so important that people don't think the Supreme Court is going to like swoop in and save us. Because I think part of the issue is that what we were taught in, in, in like, you know, history classes, we learn about some of the really bad rulings, like Dred Scott and and Plessy v. Ferguson, which is um, what created the separate but equal doctrine. But when we learn about like the modern day Supreme Court, what we learn about is like Brown v. Board of Ed. We don't learn about the the things that came after that like ripped that that ruling to shreds in a lot of ways. We don't talk as much about like the recent Voting Rights Act um, uh, ruling that just completely stripped the government of its enforcement capabilities and it's one of the reasons that it's so easy to keep people from voting now and we talk about like the for a lot of people who are younger the 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 gay marriage ruling is huge and i mean it it is for people who are older but that's like that's one of our big sort of like places that like when we think about what the supreme court has done that has affected our lives that's one of the the big tangible ones but like we're seeing that get rolled back before our eyes and like you can't count on the Supreme Court to save you. And like, even if you look at the liberals on the on the court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, you know, she may have changed her tune by the time this comes out as we just keep hearing more and more terrible shit about Kavanaugh. But when the when um, Dr. Blasey Ford's uh, uh, allegations were first coming out, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg came out and said that that Kavanaugh's hearings were getting too partisan. You know, like, that's your resistance hero? Like, that's your yas queen? It's embarrassing. And just to, I mean, I think what what Hope said Mm -hmm. about 
how and well Laura too what both of you guys were just saying about how the this like the system is set up to function this way that like the Senate is just going to keep confirming these kinds of people because that's what the Senate is set up to do like it makes me think about Rosa Luxemburg um and the stuff that I mean, she's not the only one that says this. I just like Rosa Luxemburg. She talks about how the state is a is a bourgeois institution and that it can't it can't be you can't really change it from the inside. It it's I think it's true and it's so so hard to see a way forward that doesn't involve some massive changes to how the United States governs mm-hmm. itself. The constitution and the court that interprets it is set up specifically to protect the interests of property and capital and like if if things are going to meaningfully change for people in the United States, something has to give. It's so real. So glad we have checks and balances, though. I mean, like, I'm so, I'm so glad that we have law and order and checks and balances in the United States. I honestly feel so much safer at night because of those things. And, like, <laughs> I'm hashtag proud to be an American, so... And because we have a bullshit two-party bullshit dimension bullshit system. <laughs> um, sorry, Grandpa. But um, it's bullshit. And um, until we have a Democratic Party that actually is, like, pushing a true progressive agenda and is transparent and people are excited to be part of it, we are just so hamstrung on the left politically because the people on the Republican side don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. They don't play by rules. They're not trying to like work across the aisle. They're not trying to compromise. And we're constantly compromising because we take money from the same companies. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's so bad. I feel like I I know that this was a pretty pessimistic episode. And the reality is we do live in a hellscape. And, you know... If it makes you feel good, next time you see a Blue Lives Matter flag or anything like that, you can just shove your middle finger really loud in the air. (laughs) That's what I do to make (laughs) myself feel better about all the things. And I know that I will get punched in the face by a white supremacist someday, but I feel like it'll be worth it. (laughs) Here's like a little bit of positivity I would like to end things on. Yes. The flip side of our government not really representing democratically the will of the people means that the people in power don't represent your fellow Americans. Mm. So while there is xenophobia, there is racism, there is patriarchy, all of that exists, I don't think it's day-to-day anywhere near as bad a level as we're seeing politically because politicians are using that really and like using it as leverage and as and it's all related to greed you know yeah so i i i take heart in that like we've done a lot of traveling all over the country i've been in north dakota i've been in the deep south places where you know west virginia where i would have made assumptions about how people were bigoted um or how they voted or who was a trump supporter and i've gotten more support for being a leftist and have just like encountered people who really surprised me so that makes me feel good hell yeah All right. I say let's end it there. As always, you can find us on Twitter, (laughs) Instagram, Facebook, at Season of the Bee. We also have a Patreon where you can slide us your dollars. We'd greatly appreciate that. Um, You can get early access to episodes as well as support a bunch of leftist women 
who are trying to make the world just slightly less hellish. Um, Leave us a review on iTunes. We haven't gotten a new one for like a really long time. And it makes me sad because they're so cute. Yes. And yeah, share this stuff with your friends. Like, just do it. It's going to be great. Oh, well. Oh, I love you guys so much. This was such a fun episode, even though it was depressing. <laughs> it's so fun to like tear it apart. I loved it. Oh, <sighs> goodness. All right. Well, I love you guys. Love you. Love you too. Love you. Bye. Bye.